Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, well, this morning, we're going to start our series, our values series, uh, and we're looking at a couple different values that we hold to here at Topeka First. And uh, just uh, want to encourage you to jump in with us this morning. And, you know, last fall, I talked to you about where are we going? We talked about those things. What are we looking at doing as a church? And we went through some of the key areas of ministry that we're working on focusing on, such as Capital Kids and youth and, and Royal Family Kids camps and missions. And as we walk through these things, you know, we, we serve in ministries like this for a reason, because we want to be able to add value to the lives of other people around us. Uh, because everybody has value, and that's why Jesus came and gave his life. He came for people. He came for companies. Or he did not come for companies. He did not come for organizations. He did not come for those things. But, but he arrived on this earth for people, for humanity, because he loves people. That's why he gave his life. And, and most of us realize what our mission is here, to love God, love people, and inspire hope. That's an important focus for us, and how we accomplish these things really comes down to what we value. It comes down to what we value, what we see as important. And the next few weeks, we're going to walk through some of our values as a body, and we still are a work in progress, right? We're still growing to become who God wants us to become. So we, we haven't made it yet. We haven't arrived, as Paul talked about. We haven't made it to that place, but we're moving towards him and moving towards what he wants us to do. And what we value is uh, uh, where we need to really place our focus as a body. And, and we, we find this in the early church. And if you jump in the scripture with me this morning, it should be on the screen for you. In Acts chapter 1, we find there in Acts 1, verse 3 to 5, it says this, after his suffering, or after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to, to them, or the apostles, and gave them uh, many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I'm sure that for those guys that saw him look, take his last breath on the cross... When they met him and we had, when they had the chance to uh, interact with him, I'm sure they were very happy to do it quickly. And, and so they listened to him for, for a period of time there. See, sometimes we forget that. And so on, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, now we're going to look at these two values. And, and of course, our first value this, mor uh, this morning is spirit-empowered. It's about being spirit-empowered. We want all people to experience God's gift, which enables us to do what He wants us to do. Because we each of us have a responsibility in the kingdom of God. Uh, it's not just uh, Billy Bob over there or Susie Ann or whatever. It, it, it is us, right? It's us as individuals, as us as a body. And we all have a responsibility and we value the power of God's Holy Spirit working in our lives because we need Him in our day and age. 
You realize they needed him in their day and age when they were filled with the Spirit of God because they needed God's power. And it's no different for us today. We need him significantly in our lives. Now we see here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples uh, these words before he ascends uh, uh, and, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he, he's talking to them about this and he, he's not saying, you know, if you get a chance, you may be doing this. He, he's saying this is what's going to take place for those who actually put their faith and their trust in Christ because something has happened in them, and Jesus wanted all his people to be the kind of people who were empowered to take his good news to every person in the world. That's why so many people give up their time and their talents and their abilities to be able to minister to others around this world. And they, they hadn't been empowered yet, but by Acts 2, we find the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see it there. And the disciples were overly concerned about the timing of Jesus' return. They're like, they're like, you know, like, like the people today. You know, it's like, oh, is Jesus coming tomorrow? Yeah. Well, well, we know that that's the case. He's imminent. I'm not saying he's coming tomorrow, but I know he's returning according to what the Scripture teaches us. And so that's good. That's important. We should be aware. We should be ready. But that's not all of it. We should be getting about the Father's business. Because it's one thing to be just waiting on that, but it's a whole other thing to be able to be doing the work of what God has in front of us. So they haven't been empowered, but they become empowered by the Spirit. And, and they were waiting around, and Jesus really, in so many words, he told the disciples this. It's not your business when I return. Don't even worry about it. Sure, we talk about it. We look at those things. We need to be aware, right? Uh, but it was then that he tells them what their business is. And their business was to be witnesses of Jesus around the world uh, through the power of the Spirit of God. And, and the mission hasn't changed. Today in the world that we live in, the mission has not changed for us. There, there's still, what, probably 90,000 people in our area, in, in just in this city alone, who haven't fully surrendered their life to Jesus. And yet we have a portion to, to work on there. Uh, what about those in your community? Each of us have people around us. As the Lord opens those doors, we want to be witnesses of Christ to them. You know, sometimes being a witness for Jesus uh, can uh, is simply just answering questions for people. There's one guy; his last name was Huxley. He was he was a known agnostic, and and he was with a group of men that were hanging out for a weekend. And on a Sunday morning, most of them, a bunch of them, were going to church, and one of them really had good, solid Christian character. And Huxley, uh, he says to him, he, he's like. Uh, he says, suppose you stay home and tell me why you are a Christian. Now, that's an opportunity. Now, most of the time, we pastors won't say stay home, right? Because it's just not a good idea. Gather, gather yourselves together is what we need to do so we encourage one another. But in this situation, he had this opportunity to be able to minister to this guy. And, but the man knew that he couldn't match Huxley's intellect because he was smart. So he hesitated. And, 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 but the agnostic said gently, he said, I don't want to argue with you. I just 
want you to tell me simply what this Christ means to you. So the man stuck around. He stuck around and he interacted with him. And, uh, when, and when he finished sharing what Jesus meant with him, that Huxley had tears in his eyes. Now, he didn't come to a place of faith yet, but, but he said this. He said, I would give my right hand if only I could believe that. See, God was still working in that guy's life. He was working there in his life. And this gentleman who needed to be able to give his time to the Lord did that by being a witness, by sharing his testimony. You know, one of our hopes here at Topeka First is that everybody is a contributor to the kingdom of God. And there are no spectators, only participants, because we don't want to just be spectators, just uh, sitting back and looking, looking on to see what the spectacle is at the time, right? But we want to be people who are involved in, and allowing God to work in us and through our lives. Over in the book of Acts chapter 2, uh, we find God doing something very special. God's people hadn't experienced anything like this before. Uh, but it was the empowerment to help them to be powerful witnesses affecting the world that they knew. And we see this and we, we value the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And it's something that we must never set aside. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us as individuals. It's not for Sally Sue. It's for you. It's for each and every one of us who will open our hearts to what God wants to do. Like I said earlier, we may be running and God is running after us, but we need to let him catch us. We need to allow him to have impact in our lives. We need to let him do a work in us. In the book of Acts chapter 2, we see here, and you'll see it on the screen with me, Acts chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4, it says, it says something like this. It said, when the day of Pentecost came, they, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole place because, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and come to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So there, there was something that God was doing at that point that was so unusual, and it's not different for us today other than we can't reenact what happened there, but, but we can see what he does here in the here and now according to his Holy Spirit, and we get that. And so where does the power come from here in this situation? You'd say, I, I don't know if I get that, or, or what is the significance of speaking in languages that they, that they didn't know? And, and the Bible calls these languages tongues in different translations uh, and different versions and before we answer the questions notice that there was a a sound like a violent wind that filled that room now if you have been filled with the holy spirit and you maybe experienced that it may, it may not have been a, you may not have heard a violent wind you may not see tongues of fire like that uh, but we understand that the, that the but the tongues that happens there are for a purpose and for a reason and yes he still does it today but it was a work of the Spirit of God that he was working in their lives. And it was, it was a baptizing or a powerful experience where they saw what, the, uh, what, the, what seemed to be tongues of fire there. And these things rested on each of them. It was the, uh, the uh, visual uh, of the ability of God overwhelming them with the, Spirit, with the Spirit of God. He was doing something there and then. And he still is doing something here and now. 
See, we need his power today just like they needed it there. It's not any different. And so where is God's power and the significance of the languages or the tongues in this situation? It's, it's really found there in Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And this is what it says. Now there were, they were staying in Jerusalem, or there were, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians and Medes and uh, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, in Africa, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in their own language. They heard it for themselves. They experienced it. And even though Jesus' followers were speaking languages they hadn't learned or understood, it didn't mean that it lacked significance, because it didn't. So many foreigners heard Jesus' people speaking their languages that they were surprised. They were, they were dumbfounded. They were shocked. They're like, what in the world is the deal? Uh, it had to be a little bit confusing for them, and uh, they were surprised. Uh, so the foreigners, uh, they, they must have heard the disciples' accents and, and realized they, they weren't from their towns. There was something there that triggered it for them because they even say, mentioned them being from Galilee. And they, they, they ask one another, what does this mean? What, what, is this, what does this thing mean? They, they were amazed. They were perplexed. They were trying to figure out. They knew it was a sign from God, didn't they? They knew it was something that God was doing, and they didn't fully get everything, and so, but, but they knew that God was doing something here. And here's another thing. When they were speaking in tongues, they were declaring the wonders of God in these people's languages. It was a miracle. It was a miraculous work that God did. They hadn't learned. They didn't go to school to learn that. And later, Paul, he may have considered these, uh, Paul himself may have considered them like equal to a prophetic message since tongues interpretation uh, is equal to prophecy. You can see that over in, in a book of 1 Corinthians. He talks about that quite a bit. Uh, and uh, so... So where is the power, though? The, the power to be witnesses is wrapped up in their declaration of the wonders of God. They were there witnessing in another language, but, but they were there witnessing, and, and God was reaching out to these people. So you have these 120 followers of Jesus had just been empowered to be witnesses of Jesus and, and to the nations that came to them. They came to them, what, it was a feast time, right? It was Pentecost. That's why we call it Pentecost. It's where Pentecostal comes from, all those things. It was that time of the feast, and there, there they come there. God, hey, God has a plan for everything, doesn't he? He knew what he was doing, and he waited at the right time to be able to pour out his spirit in such a powerful way. And so, but, but, but that wasn't the end of it. 
we, we wouldn't have seen uh, the other scenarios play out in the book, uh, the book of Acts if that was the end of it. And when I said earlier, I said, you know, you're not going to replicate that in some sense and what happened there. That was for that time, yes. But that, would, that was not an end of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was not an end of the outpouring. We see through the book of Acts, otherwise that would have been, he would have stopped there and there would have been no other scenarios that happened after that. So, and also for us today. So we're, we're empowered for a purpose. We're empowered to be witnesses of Christ in our world. And, and, and I hope for a church where evangelism is a lifestyle that reveals God's love and demonstrates compassion to people through the empowerment of the Spirit of God. That is what we needed again, but there's a problem. We're running. We're running. He's running after us. We've got to let him catch us. Because until we allow him to catch us, until we allow him to put the power of the Spirit of God in us in the way that he needs to, doesn't mean we don't speak in tongues. Doesn't mean we haven't been filled with the Spirit of God in that fashion. But we have to be able to allow him to catch us so he can funnel his power through our lives. Because he has a plan for each and every one of us. He has a plan for our communities. He has a plan for our world. And we are part of that plan as followers of Jesus. You're empowered with a purpose. See, we value being spirit-empowered. We, we, we want every believer to experience God's gift, which enables us to do all that he wants us to do because we all have that purpose. We all have a, uh, He has a plan for us, and this is really the only way that, that we can fulfill our vision of love God, love people, and inspire hope is to allow the Spirit of God to work through our lives and in our lives in such a way that, that He grabs a hold of people by His grace through our lives and through our message and that they can see that there is something that God is offering to them. That there is some hope that they have. People need hope in this broken and dark world. We live in a broken and a dark world. And there is hope there if people will look to him and we have to be able to be those who are willing to reach out and share the love of God with others. Now there's another value that we have as well. And we've talked about it, I know last fall in some sense we talked about part of this, and, and, but it's Christ-like service. Christ-like service, really uh, being empowered by the Holy Spirit enables us to be able to serve in the way that God would have us to serve. And so Christ-like service is that we humbly live to serve and not to be served. I don't know if you've ever played on a team. Maybe you have or not. Maybe not in the NFL. But maybe you've played on a team and you've experienced what it's like to do that. So say you have a child that's played on a team or is, is playing and learning, right? You know how it is. And, and so the kid's on the team and uh, all of a sudden you, you feel like, well, you know, my child has been working really hard at this, but, but uh, it seems like the coach needs to get them in the right place. You, know, you, you think, you know what, they, they really should be a guard. That, that should be what they should be. They should be a guard. And they play in basketball. They say, I just think they have the size for that and the capability for that. But the coach kind of has them at a center and I, I just needs to work on it. And so really you want to stand up for them so they can get the right opportunity, right? And, but you think, uh, you, you think that their best way to do this is to go right to the top, go to the coach. Well, maybe. But, 
but uh, sometimes uh, the, the other option is there is preparation, right? It may be the other option to prepare and try to help them walk through it, you know. And, uh, and uh, sure, sometimes we have to step out and try to help people, and that's, that's what we have to do. But there's other ways to help people at times, too. So look to see what happens uh, to Jesus as he's coaching his 12, right? He's got 12 guys. They are a motley crew. They're a bunch of different critters from different sides of the world, so to speak, even though it's kind of there from Israel. Uh, and so he's dealing with them. And here we are in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. And this is, this is, the, this is what's happening here. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with their sons and kneeling down asked uh, a favor of him. So we know the, these sons, right, they're James and John. Uh, and, and so what is it you want, he asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Uh, and he, he responds back to her. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Uh, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. He said, it's not my call. He says, it's the Father's call. And then in verse 24, he says, when the, the ten heard about this, they were indignant. They were outraged. They were frustrated. Uh, and with the two, with these two brothers, and Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise over, uh, authority over them. Not so with you. And said, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servants, and whoever wants to be, the, be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we look at this passage, as powerful and as significant as it is, we, we see it seems like James and John took matters into their own hand with their mom because of the questioning. We, we understand actually, and you know if you look at there the, how he conjugates a verb and stuff, it's, it's, he's talking to them, it's not just mom he's talking to, right? And we also understand from the book of Mark chapter 10, the two sons are asking as well. Uh, so, you're, you're, you know, the Gospels are just a different viewpoint. The same thing, they're just from a different viewpoint to help us see what's happening. And, and so they were looking for position. And the truth uh, is later they did receive a position because Peter, James, and John... Uh, they, they really had uh, been listed kind of of the three leading disciples uh, uh, there with Jesus out of the 12. But it really wasn't what they were asking. It really wasn't what they were expecting because they were hoping to be the top, top guys on the cabinet, right, so to speak. That's kind of their, their frame of reference. And with, what they didn't realize is with position came responsibility, and responsibility comes with service. And Jesus said there, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. We know that James later died for his faith. So he was an all-in guy. 
We know that was the case. He, he, he died at the hands of Herod. And then we also know that John was an all-in guy. In fact, he was, he was to such a level that he was being persecuted to a high level and was exiled and out into the middle of nowhere, right? And so there he is going through that himself. But, but they both did that because they were serving the Lord and they got it after this question, after his resurrection, we should say. It took a while for them to pick it up and understand, but they did. See, Jesus made the point when he said in verse 28 here, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He, he's saying, look, guys, this is not all about having a position of power and of influence. And, and we all want to make history in some sense, right? And not necessarily history where everybody writes about us, but we all want to have an impact in the world that we're living in. We want to have an impact because we want to see God do some work, something in people's lives. We want to have those kind of impact around us. And it's important, but, but it, it, it isn't, uh, it, it's not about us and, and it's not about being focused on us. It's about us pointing people to Christ. See, so many times we have it all wrong. Uh, you and I are, are, aren't simply people to receive the service of others, although that's what our culture teaches because marketing for years has, has it drilled that into our culture as a society in the West. That they've, they've drilled, you deserve it, you need it, uh, you should have it. All, these, all the kinds of messages that we have there, and that's what our culture teaches us. But then we, then we accept this even in the church, in our personal lives, and, and in our communities. It's, uh, it's really the opposite of what God is saying, and even in Jesus' time, it's, it's, it's not what they were doing. And Jesus was telling his disciples, they aren't simply to be receivers, but respectfully givers of service. It's easy to be caught up in commercialism, right? It's easy to be caught up in those things and say, oh, well, I deserve this, I need this. Well, maybe. <laughs> Christ-like service it's not simply service. Now, service is a good thing. It's a good thing, but serving just for serving's sake is, is not what we really see in the Scripture. It's not really what we see in the, in the Word of God, and we need to be aware of that. There, there's more to it, and that's why Christ-like is that qualifying word that we put there, to be like Christ, to be like Jesus, to live like Him. Sure, we're not him, but we're to live like him. We have been challenged by the word of God to become like him. And, and, and we, we know that that's so important for us in our lives. We're people with, with intent to live out our faith in Christ with action, which shows not only what we believe, but our Christ-like personal morals too. We need to live like him, live as Jesus did. Otherwise, we're no different than the secular person down the street. See, we've been called out to be holy. We've been called out to be set apart for him. And remember what, what Jesus said to James and John and the others, other disciples too. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. He's like, this shouldn't be the case, guys. And Jesus was saying we need to be different. Don't try to control others. 
right? We don't want to be those who try to control others. Don't try to manipulate others to get what you want. Stay away from those power plays uh, and, and live for Christ. Because anybody can do any of those things, but that is not what we're called to be like. And see, in Jesus' time, he knew that cruel and severe is the way of those who ruled the world at his time. And really, that hasn't changed too much. And so we have to be able to treat others like they have, like they have to follow every... If, I should say, if we try to treat others like they should follow every, of your, every one of your whims, every one of your desires, we've got a problem, right? That means we have to shift our thinking means we have to change how we live because we have to learn to respect others and respect is an important part of our lives as followers of Jesus. It's a very important thing for us as followers of Christ. I'll share with this story. I'll try to make sense of it, but I remember when I was in Africa, in West Africa, we were up in a place called Baga and as we go up, we went up into this area. We were taking national evangelists that we were training and one of the things that we had to do was to go in. We planted several churches in the area. And one of the times uh, we went up to this one particular place. And you may not think of anything of it as an American, but, but they, out there they had this stake. And on this, this stake, it was a wooden stake, and it, it was kind of the end of it was cut up, and it was flowery like this to be able to hold something. And so they, and they wrapped twine around it to hold it, and then they had an egg on there. And so that was an offering to false gods. And so, and we're going in to preach the gospel there. And so one of the guys was like, they wanted to knock it down. And I'm like, wait a second, guys. Do you, do you not know why you're here? You're here to preach the gospel. Yeah, this is an Old Testament to knock down the, the, the things because they weren't our people, right? But God loved them. And so our, our goal there wasn't there to go there and to destroy their idols and all that. The Holy Spirit would help them do that, and we would help them walk through that. But we weren't there just to go up and to smack them and to des destroy all their stuff. No, we went there to go share the love of Christ and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And, you know, in that area, many people came to faith in Christ. And at one point, they had 200 people in that church. But I'm, t I'm telling you that it's important for us is sometimes what happens for us in our lives, we think that when we come in, we meet somebody and we want to share the gospel with them. What we like to do is we, we want to just, uh, you know, because they're not our persuasion. They don't have our, our, our uh, desires or our understandings. And so what we do is we want to just knock all that down. That's not the way to do it. Share the love of Jesus with them. We have to share Christ with them. We don't have to just destroy all of their all of their junk. And we sure it may be sin, it may be wrong. We know because we live in a culture now that exalts sin in so many different forms and fashions. It's not no, it's not right. But do you realize, do you remember we live in a secular world? We live in a secular world, and we've been called to be followers of Jesus and to share Christ with the world. Doesn't mean we have to, on the public square, knock everything down that they have and think that that's preaching the gospel. That's not preaching the gospel. That just makes them mad. Well, I don't blame them. We have to find ways to be able to reach out to people in a different manner because, as Jesus said, that's not how we're supposed to be. That's not the way we're supposed to be. Are we really followers of Jesus? Or are we just cultural followers of Jesus? 
We have to have real Christ-like service in our lives. You know, it's, a, it's like this, you know, you, uh, respect is important. Respect means you have to regard uh, for the feelings, wishes, rights, or traditions of others. Now, I'm not saying we're giving in, condoning, or accepting the things they're doing. That's a totally different thing. That's, a, that's something different. We don't do that. But, but Jesus uh, didn't do that either. Uh, and, and he would hold people to account. But he loved them and shared grace with them. So, but we can respect them. Could you imagine somebody coming up to you and saying, uh, you need to move to the next seat because that's my seat. You need to move. Uh, and, uh, and if they said this, it would be kind of harsh. It would lack respect for the other person, right? And uh, so, but, but if they said, would you be able to move to the next seat over? Because I broke my leg. Oh, that's kind of a different story, right? You, you, rec you recognize it. But it puts it in a different light. It, it puts the ball in their court, showing respect towards them by asking the question. See, Jesus would say, treat others as you would have them to treat you. We have to all learn that, don't we? Christ-like service is what Paul is, was talking about as he, as he pointed to the attitude of Jesus, how he had, uh, had this certain attitude about himself and others. And, and we find it in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 to 4. And this is what it said. It should be on the screen for you. It says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same, the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If you and I are going to be willing to apply those principles uh, to our life and our business, it can change our world. If we will actually apply those things, then it's more than just a value that we believe. It's a value that we live out. And that's what it needs to become for each and every one of us. So uh, too, too many times we decide that uh, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, so we need to live like the dog-eat-dog. -dog. But that's just not the best thing for us, is it? We have to be able to realize that we are, are, have been given grace. God has given grace, so we need to extend grace as well. Jesus was tough when situations demanded it, though. I don't know if you, if you think about it, but Jesus was tough at times. Uh, he, he, he didn't hold, pull any punches. Uh, like when he ran, uh, ran the money changers out of the temple, that was being tough. He was. But when it came to those who were in need, he dealt with them in compassion. Yet, there were those times he challenged those who were in need, like the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was sick. And, and he said, it's not right to give the children's bread to, the, to dogs. He was calling her a dog, kind of. You had to keep that in context of the time frame there. And that's kind of offensive. Especially that that's offensive, but she, had, she did the dance with him, and even and she said this, even the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. She responded back to him. 
So Jesus pulled really that seed of faith out of this woman's life. And, uh, and that's one of those uh, special occasions where Jesus ended up doing something and he healed the child. He still showed compassion. Yeah, he was tough in the beginning, right? But he healed the child. So there are special occasions like that, but Jesus was still compassionate. He was, it was those who were proud and full of themselves that he corrected so strongly. As we saw with the, with the, as he ran out those that were in exchanging money at the temple. So Paul says this about Christ-like service. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 7, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. As we wrap this up this morning, consider this Christ-like humility, humbly living to serve and not to be served, finding a need and filling it. Isn't that what ministry is about? Isn't that what it's about for all of us? And it's, it, the people that are in ministry are, is the church. It's the body of Christ. Those people that say, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility at your hands. If you're a greeter, if you're an usher, if you serve with the kids or youth, even if you're on a cleaning crew or, or a small group leader, no matter what it is that you do, uh, we all must humbly serve others in our church and our community. Because what you serve, if you serve in the church, remember, you're the face of the church. Do you want the rest of the church looking just like you? I'm not talking about your makeup or hair. We are the face. We're the hands and the feet of Jesus even. In a demanding world of consumers, it's not always easy, is it? It's just not because that's the world that we live in. Consumers don't want to serve. They want to be served. Disciples of Jesus are those who are willing to serve, to step out of their, their little world and to reach out. As we add values to others, we do that because it comes from the values that we have. Adding value to others is important, like being spirit-empowered by being a servant of Christ, to be able to share the hope of the gospel with others around us. I want to pray with you this morning. I'm not sure on your, where you're at on this. Maybe you say, you know what, I need part of this to, I need to work on some of this. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to work on me. Uh, maybe you need to allow the Lord to catch you in an area and help you. Because he wants to. He wants to work in your life. He's not here to browbeat you or say, you know what, you're no good. No, that's not what he's here to do. He loves you and he cares for you. And he wants to continue to build you up to make you strong. He wants to fill you so that you can share your hope that you've received with others too. God is good and he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your faithfulness that you showed towards us today. I thank you, Father God, that you've proven yourself so in so many ways in our lives. Father, we thank you for your faithful kindness that you've shown towards us while we have been sinners. Jesus, you came to give us hope again and to break us free out of that sin, to give us new life. We thank you, Lord, that you chase us down. 
and you call us to be your kids. Father, we offer ourselves to you this morning. We say, Lord, have your way in our lives. Here's our lives, Lord. Here we are. In Jesus' name.